Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Good morning. Wonderful. Is it okay if I stay here? All right, you're all okay. You can see me. Business class seats, you've got all that. All right, give me a wave. Come on, they've all been upgraded uh, to the top there. Wonderful. It is amazing to be with you. I've just had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, To Lucas and Sarah and the team, thank you so much for the invitation. And thank you uh, for making this possible. It's been an absolute joy for me. And also uh, to Nick and Lisa and Ethan for opening up their home. Nick cooks his own bread and everything. It's marvelous. I woke, I woke up this morning to the smell of bread wafting up the, up the stairs. Come on, it was, it was amazing. And, uh, and so I've just been so well looked after. Even Chinese, even non-Liverpool supporters uh, gathered last night to support me watching the match, uh, which was deeply, deeply painful at so many levels. I hate VAR. Uh, but there we are. There we are. Jesus still loves me. And he doesn't make any VAR mistakes. Come on. Come on. He always gets the line straight. He knows what he's doing. Uh, Praise the Lord. And thank you that my life does not depend on Liverpool's results. Amen? Because that would be a roller coaster ride indeed. Uh, And it's my joy for the next few minutes to share the word of God with you. Had a wonderful time with the leaders uh, yesterday for those who were able to gather. Thank you for coming. Thank you for leaving your locations and coming to this one and uh, putting yourself into a little bit of discomfort and being with people you wouldn't normally sit with and talking to people you wouldn't normally talk to. But it's good for us. It's good for us. We're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of habit. We like our own stuff. We like our own space. We like it the way we like it, right? Or is that just me? Come on, come on, we're, we're creatures, and actually we, we, we sometimes need to challenge that, to step out of ourselves, step beyond ourselves, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about coming into your life and saving you, but about calling you beyond yourself. It's a big idea in the gospel. He wants to call you beyond yourself. Yes, he wants to bless you, wants to do something amazing for you as an individual, but he never wants to leave it there. It's always about calling me beyond myself into something much, much, much bigger. Amen? And if we, forgive me now, if John Andrews is the center of his world, then it's a pretty small world. Uh, And as important as John Andrews is, and Jesus loves John Andrews, and I absolutely know that he loves me, but if that's the center of my universe and my world, I, I am missing the point galactically. All right, he wants to call me to something bigger, and I believe that's the plan, not only for you as an individual, but as Life Church Warrington. Amen? We are being called to something bigger. So I'm going to share the Word of God. In the context of this togetherness, uh, I want to share a sort of a together idea, which I hope will encourage you. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to read from the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you're relatively new to church, you may have just think I've suggested some sort of tropical disease that we're going to read from Nehemiah. That's a bit weird. But uh, it's in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Some of you in the building will be very familiar with this story. Maybe others hearing a part of this story for the very, very first time. But it's an amazing story. It's essentially a story about rebuilding something. It's a story about restoring something. 
It's a story about the heart of God to take something that was broken down and build it up so it can become great again in the hands of the Lord. That's essentially what Nehemiah is about. Now, before we jump in to do the short reading, I do need to give you a bit of backstory because the backstory to this is humongous. So we've sort of got to get the backstory first. Now, the backstory to this is quite tragic. The nation of Israel had sort of turned their back on God. And as a result of that, God had allowed them as a nation to be exiled into Babylon. Okay, so, and that was a very painful experience. It felt like the Lord had turned his back on them, but in fact, God was working on them and with them in exile. And they spent about 70 years, seven zero years in Babylon, in exile, and then the Babylonian superpower was sort of swallowed up by another superpower, the Persian Empire, and under the Persian Empire, they got a bit of favor, and they were allowed to return. Steady, steady, but they were allowed to return. And Nehemiah is working in the court of the Persian king, and the Persian king notices it a little bit upset, speaks to him about it, and Nehemiah essentially tells him the story that my city, my home city has been destroyed, it's broken down, the walls are broken down, the gates have been burnt with fire, and he essentially says to the king, I, I would love to do something about that. And a, a miracle takes place. The king, a Persian king, who has no interest in Jerusalem at all, uh, sort of bankrolls Nehemiah. He, he sort of helps Nehemiah to leave his position in the court and go back to Jerusalem and begin the rebuilding process. And Nehemiah then goes back, and if you pick it up in chapter 2, he sort of does a recce of the city of Jerusalem, works out over a three-day period or so what the problems are. Then he appeals to the leaders in Jerusalem that they would stand together with him, get together, and start the rebuilding process, okay? So when we hit chapter 3, where I'm going to do a little bit of a reading, when we hit chapter 3, the rebuilding has begun. And in fact, chapter 3 is a detailed account of the people who are building the wall. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, you'll be glad to hear, because there are far too many difficult words for me to read. But I'll start and you'll get the flavor for where we're going. So it's Nehemiah chapter 3. And we'll read verses 1 and 2, Justin. And you can read the whole chapter for yourself if you're excited about this when you go home. All right, and it says this. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built next to him. And it sort of continues on like that. It's a description of the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. Now, most times as Christians, when we're reading the Old Testament, we just jump in at the book of Nehemiah, and we see the book of Nehemiah sort of standing on its own. But actually, if you were to read this as a Jewish person from the Hebrew Bible, they read the book of Ezra, the book before that, and the book of Nehemiah together as one book, actually. They sort of consider it as like a two-parter of one book. And that's really, really important for us because, because the book of Ezra is about the restoration of two big ideas. Ezra returns just before Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, and he does two incredible things. Number one, he restores the word of God. 
So in his language, that would be the Torah. He restores the Torah. Now, what does that mean? It means he brings the word of God back to the center of the nation. And he essentially says to the Israelites, we've got to return to the agreement we made with God a long time ago. And if we return to that agreement, God will bless us. So Nehemiah does that. The second thing that Nehemiah does is he helps with the rebuilding of the temple. Why is that significant? Because the temple speaks of worship. So you've got then, before Nehemiah even gets to the city of Jerusalem, Ezra has set him up with two big ideas. The restoration of the word of God and the restoration of the worship of God. And it's on the basis of the word of God and worship that we rebuild the walls. Okay, now this is an important idea for us as a Christian community that although there will be things Jesus is asking us to do, like plant new churches, like open the Hope into Action House. I love that. That was fantastic. That do these amazing projects. And although all of these are part of the building process, they must be built on a confidence of the Word of God and of having Jesus and the worship of Jesus at the center of the community. So what must never happen is, like, Hope into Action House takes over that. What must not happen is our structure eclipses the word and worship, right? So Ezra comes before Nehemiah, because that's a huge idea. When we lean into God's word, when we lean into passionate worship of him, it's from that foundation that everything else needs to be built. Now, sometimes what we do, of course, because Nehemiah is an amazing book and so exciting, we just jump straight into Nehemiah about all this reconstruction, and it's an amazing story, and that's well worth that. But when you remember that before Nehemiah gets there and before a single brick is put in the wall, worship has been restored, the word has been restored, then actually that's adding a little bit of energy to the whole journey. And we mustn't forget that. So on our journey, we mustn't forget that as we go forward. And actually, when we look at the book of Nehemiah, it is really remarkable. A wall that has been broken down for 70 years, two and a bit generations really, has been broken down, gets rebuilt in 52 days. Now, you're a tough crowd to impress. I, I, I haven't seen garden walls built in 52 days, let alone a city wall. That is remarkable. 52 days, the wall is rebuilt. Now, in ancient times, you couldn't have a city without a wall. You need a wall. Wall is for stability. Wall is for protection. Wall would keep your enemies at bay. Wall would allow commerce and industry and all sorts of other things to flourish. So you couldn't even think about having a city without a wall if you were serious about building a significantly influential place. So they need to build this wall, and they build it in 52 days. And, and here's the thing. The, the, the impression we get is that Nehemiah comes in, and everybody responds. Everybody just goes, yeah, we're ready. Let's step up. Let's do this. And the sort of wisdom might be that the wall gets built in 52 days because every single person who returned from the exile said, I am here. I will serve you, O great Nehemiah. All right? But when you crunch the numbers, you discover not so. In fact, we discover in some cases a very different sort of story. And it's with that I want to encourage you as a gathered community, five different locations gathered together with a 
corporate and a beautiful overarching vision of Life Church Warrington to be part of something bigger. And I, and I know you love your location and I know you love the street where you live and I know you love the place where you are, but actually to be part of something that is much, much, much bigger is the call of God to our lives, a call beyond ourselves. And as I've sort of reflected on the story of Nehemiah, I was struck by three simple ideas that really have helped me as a builder. Because I'm part of a local church like you, right? I don't lead a church. I, I'm, I'm a punter in the pew in terms of my local church. So I, I want to be part of building my local church. I want to be part of building their vision. I want to be part of building where we want to go together. And this is not only these ideas have not only helped me as a leader, they have also helped me as a builder with other builders. Are you with me? And I think these will help you at least to think about um, as we go forward. So when we think about Nehemiah, a couple of things I want you to think about. Number one, Nehemiah teaches us when it comes to building something, it's not how many, it's how well. Right? It's not how many, it's how well. Now, I wish I'd have learned this principle when I left Bible college and went into my first pioneer church. If someone had just told me that idea, John, it's not about how many that are building, but it's how well you're building. Like, it would have saved me from, from stressful nights and difficult moments. You know, when, when we were pioneering, I used to get really stressed out about the empty chairs. Uh, and I used to take the empty chairs, uh, you know, as a... As a almost a marker to me. And then I fell into the trap of sort of giving the full chairs a hard time for the empty chairs. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, some leaders in the room, you, you, you'll know what I mean by that. I, and because I was frustrated that the chairs weren't filled, I, I was taking it out on the chairs that were filled. And the Holy Spirit said to me, really powerfully, you've got to get over that or you're going to kill the people in the chairs that are filled. So you've, you've got to encourage the filled chairs and then believe that the empty chairs can be filled. All right? And sometimes we're so, we're so keen on getting everyone involved that sometimes we can be, we can be sidetracked by that. A, a few years ago, I lived in Gloucester, and we had a particularly bad snowfall. Some of you might remember that a few years ago, uh, pre-COVID, I think, and, and, and you had a, a really bad Christmas snowfall. And where we lived was like a T-shaped cul-de-sac. So a long street at the top and then a big hill leading down. So in that T-shaped cul-de-sac with the hill leading down, there was probably about 50 houses, Okay all spread out, some detached, some semi-detached, and there we were. We had this huge fall of snow, and of course, with a big hill, that's really dangerous. We need to get that snow cleared as quickly as possible, and the council weren't going to help us, so we sort of need to help ourselves. So Don and I just think, okay, we live here. Let's get out and start shoveling snow. And so we got out, and two of our neighbors, uh, well, two, two people from the one house came out and joined us. We thought, that's great. Uh, and we thought, any minute now, any minute now, all the doors will open and people will rush to our aid. They will come and they will shovel the snow with us. Yea, verily, in the name of the Lord. Okay, uh, and it never happened. And Dawn, myself, and two people, two other people shoveled snow for three hours, right? And cleared a path and there were big buckets of salt left out. So we, we, we put all the salt down. Not a single neighbor came out to help us. 
Not a single neighbor offered us a cup of hot chocolate while we were shoveling snow. And not, unbelievably, I've never lived in a place like it my whole life, not a single neighbor thanked us. Who wants to live in Gloucester? Come on. Who loves Warrington? Come on now. Goodness gracious me. It was amazing. Don and I were mesmerized by that. But that's life. That happens all the time. It happens all the time. In fact, it's happening here too. And it's not shoveling snow, of course. It's other things. Well, we'll, we'll leave it to other people. And actually, Nehemiah is contending with the same idea. If you read Nehemiah chapter 3, there's a couple of, if you have the courage to read it all the way to the end, there's a couple of big numbers that are worthwhile looking at. Nehemiah names 37 individuals. 37 people are named. Then he names about 12 groups of people. So things like men of Gibeah, that means men from Gibeah. It doesn't mean all of the men of Gibeah, men of, and women of Mizpah, etc. So people from different places. And he names about 12 groups. Then he does something really amazing structurally. He uses phrases like after or beyond him or beyond them. And he uses that phrase 15 times in the chapter. And then he uses the phrase next to him or next to them 15 times. So uh, let, me, let me remind you, 37 individuals, 12 groups of people, and then 30 words of connectedness. Say, wow, that's amazing. It is amazing. And then if you went on to chapter 7, it's even more amazing because here's what you discover. The people that returned to Jerusalem with, with Nehemiah or with Ezra numbered 49,942. John, that's very exact. Well, Nehemiah literally lists the numbers in chapter 7. He's a very exact man. He likes numbers, does Nehemiah. 49,942. In fact, he tells us that 8,136 animals also returned in the captivity. That's how, like, pedantic Nehemiah is. He's not guessing, oh, well, you know, there was a couple of hundred in the room when there was 50, right? Nehemiah really knows the numbers. So here's what's even more remarkable. Not only, not only have we got 37 individuals and 12 groups of people connected together with this next to or beyond him or beyond them idea, 30 connecting words, but it's in the backdrop of 50,000 people, the majority of whom are not shoveling snow. Now, why is that important? Why does Nehemiah give us that detail? Because here's, here's why it's important. If you put your eyes on the people not shoveling the snow, come on, you're not going to shovel the snow. Or when you're shoveling the snow, you're going to be really angry at the people not shoveling the snow. Uh, and, and maybe it will stop us from shoveling the snow. And actually, this has been a big, big lesson for me in my own life because I, over the years, I've become really frustrated with people not shoveling snow. I've become really frustrated with the people who can't see what I see, who are not getting on the wall with me, who are not building with me. What's wrong with you, I say to myself? And try it not to say to them. All right? Are you with me? And I'm reminded of Nehemiah. That Nehemiah's focus wasn't so much on the people who didn't shovel snow. Although that's important. We've got to think about why they're not shoveling snow. That's a conversation we have to have at some point. But his focus is not on the non-snow shovelers. 
His focus is on the 37 named, boom, individuals. The 12 named groups. He doesn't just say, oh, a bunch of us got in the wall. No, no, he names them. Why? Because his focus is not on the non-snow shovelers. His focus is on the people on the wall. I like that. Now, that's a tension to be managed as leaders in the room because we don't want to ignore people because we're here for people. Even if they don't want to gather or don't want to build or don't want to plant or don't want to support uh, uh, you know, our new house hope into action, We've still got to have a heart and compassion and love for those people. But actually, if our focus remains on them, then hope into action won't happen. All right? If, if our focus is on them, then the next church plant won't happen. We're definitely not going to go to the center of Warrington and risk all that money for a thousand-seater auditorium in case nobody turns up. Are you with me? So it's a tension to be managed. Leaders in the room, you're going to have to manage that. But even followers in the room, you've got to manage that. Don't get distracted by the non-snow shovelers. Shovel the snow. Come on. Come on. This is worth shoveling snow for, isn't it? Come on. Come on. Here's the second big idea. You're doing great. Now, it's not just not so much how many, but how well. Here's the second idea. It's not for us. It's for others. Now, this is a huge idea, Nehemiah. And you, you, when you lean into the detail, you'll see this. Let me show you this in chapter 3. That, that actually, when he speaks about building the wall, he speaks about men of Jericho, from Jericho, men from Decoa, people from Gibeon and Mizpah. And then he drops this little piece of information later on in Nehemiah. He says that when they were building the wall, there were no houses built yet in Jerusalem. So the wall being built inside the wall, there's no houses. And actually, when people were building, they went back to their homes. Now, if you follow the breadcrumbs really carefully, here's what we're discovering. Most of the people building the wall of Jerusalem didn't live in Jerusalem. That's a thought, isn't it? And, and that's a real challenge to us because we like the idea of building our bit. Come on, are you with me? The bit that I like, the bit where I live, my postcode. Now, is that a problem? No, that's natural. That's normal. That's like 101 stuff. That's the stuff me and you should be doing. I should be passionate about my street or my postcode or my location, right? You should be like, because that's like normal. That's what we do. What's not normal is building next doors or the next street's wall or the next town's wall, or, or some other location. That doesn't feel so normal, because I'm, I'm traveling across Warrington to build something for them, and then I'm traveling back to my little postcode over here. Well, what's going on? Right? And that's the kingdom of God. It's all over the Bible. The God of heaven that we've been singing about today is a God who invested into humanity, and literally by the end of the creation story, gives it away. He's not actually building for him, he's building for us. Wow, it's an amazing idea that we've got this incredible, incredible God. Uh, and, and, and they are building for two types of people. And again, the clues are in the text. 
They're building for people who can't. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the clue is in, in maybe another part of the Bible. In Psalm 102, verse 18, it says this. Listen to these amazing words. This is a word for all of us today. Let this be written for a future generation. Listen, that a people not yet created. Come on. That what? They may praise the Lord. That's the idea. Now here's the amazing thought. The Jerusalem that Nehemiah is rebuilding will be the Jerusalem that Jesus ministers in. The Jerusalem that Nehemiah is building will be the Jerusalem in which the Holy Spirit falls. The Jerusalem that Nehemiah is building will be the epicenter for the church of Jesus Christ that me and you and billions of us on planet earth are now a part of. Now, now, now Nehemiah, Nehemiah isn't just building for himself. He's not even from there. He was probably born in exile. Come on, he's Jewish, but if it's 70 years at the end of the exile, he's not a 70-year-old man in this story, he's a younger man. That means he was born in exile. Though he knows Jerusalem from stories, he's never actually been there. Come on. And the Lord wants to fill us with a vision for others. Come on now, this is what this is about. Now, whatever it ends up looking like, vision for others. I, I was challenged by the hope and the action stuff, but, but I mean, let me just be vulnerable with you. I've been around long enough to know that, hey, we're, we're building a house for the homeless, and then somebody mentions Iranians. Now, I know this only happens where I live, but somebody goes, ooh. So it's not just homeless people. It's Iranian homeless people. And, and there would be some people who go, well, why are we doing that? Because that's the kingdom of God. We're not, we're not here for us. We're here for them. And, and that's what Nehemiah's caught. That's what, that's what the biblical story is all about. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the church is about. It's not just about, hey, bless me, make my life cool, give me a nice car, give me a big house. Hey, swell my bank balance are those things great if they happen to you yes 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 and yes all right we'll have all of that but if we reduce God down to our to our mortgage and reduce God down to the badge in our car and reduce reduce God down to a to a blessing that's about just making my life happier ladies and gentlemen please don't be offended by what I'm going to say to you but we have galactically missed the point does God want to bless me yes and you yes Yes, yes, and yes. Do I believe that if we honor the Lord, we see a redemption and lift in our lives and our lives at every level improve? Absolutely, 100%. And I could give you stories about that. But here's the thing. It's not a stop at that point. He's doing that in me so that I will carry that to them. Come on, whatever he's given me, it's so that I can bless them. It's so that I can be a conduit of the blessing of God. And that's why we're thinking about another church plant. Well, you know, Lucas, slow down, man. There's five, five locations. What's the problem? Right? 
You already heard from, from the, the hope into action. Well, we're already thinking about more. Hey, hold on a minute. Let's just get the first one off. But when people catch a vision for others, that's what happens. We get a bit like over the top. It gets a bit wild. It gets a bit uncomfortable. Because others is what we're here for. But they didn't just build for those who can't. Here's the kicker. You're going to love this. They built for those who won't. Now look at this. Later on it says this. The next section was repaired by the men of Decoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. And in fact, there's a theme there with the nobles. Later on in chapter 7, Nehemiah takes an offering. Uh, and sort of says, hey, let's have an offering to sort of help with all this, all this cost. Now that you've seen the wall built, let's take this offering. And we hear this at actually twice in chapter 7, verses 71 and 72. No, 70 and 71. Chapter 7, verses 70 and 71. Twice he says, some of the heads of the families contributed. So, so not only do you have in chapter 3 some of the nobles not getting on the wall, that's already implied by the way Nehemiah writes this, but now even after the wall's built, many of the heads of the families didn't put their hands in their pocket to finance the project. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? But they kept building. See, we're not just building for those who can't. Because this church is building for people who this morning aren't even saved yet. People who are out there playing football, recovering from last night, having a good time, who can't even spell the word Jesus, never mind know that Jesus exists to change their lives. This church exists for those who can't. And in the next 10 years, you've had an amazing first 10 years. In the next 10 years, you're going to have hundreds of people who right now don't even know anything about what you're building, but they're going to be part of what you're building, right? Because you built it. I love what Lucas said. It was on the money. He said, you're attending a location that someone else planted. Come on now. Come on. Business class seats. Is this working for you? Come on now. But they were building for those who won't. Wow, that's a wee bit more edgy. We keep building even for the non-snow shovelers. Come on now. I, I had a wee, I had a wee look at the offering. It's quite amazing. Uh, he gives us numbers. Nehemiah loves numbers. And I looked at the numbers. Checked this on a website this morning. Now, so it could be wrong. Could already be out of date. But they talk about bringing an offering of gold and silver in Nehemiah chapter 7. And I worked it out. The offering of gold was 178.5 kilos of gold. And 2.3 tons of silver. So I went on a website this morning, checked out how much is gold going for? And how much is silver going for? Do you want to hear? Are you interested? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway, because I'm really excited about this. So here we go. Gold is currently selling for 48,700 pounds, roughly, per kilo. Again, you're, you're pretty hard to impress, aren't you? It's like... Come on. So in today's currency, the gold alone that was offered is just over 8,700,000 pounds. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's, let's do the silver, shall we? Silver is 585 pounds a kilo. 
That's 1.4 million pounds. That's a total of 10.1 million pounds in today's money if they were taking that offering now. That's pretty amazing. What's even more amazing? Not everybody gave. Come on now. But the people that did give had a vision for others. See, they weren't just building for themselves because most of them would not live there. They were going back to Jericho. They were going back to Tekoa. They were going back to Mizpah. They were going back to where they lived. They didn't even live. They wouldn't even benefit from the, from the, the, the sort of housing boom in Jerusalem that would kick off because of these walls. But they built anyway. Why? Because they caught Nehemiah's heart. And why was Nehemiah building? Because he caught the kingdom's heart, God's heart. The heart to build for others. Does that make sense for you? Last idea and we're done. Is that okay? Good. Many of you are going, yeah, please. All right, then. We're, last idea and we're done. So, so uh, the, the three ideas I want to give you and just remind you of which are very important. It's not how many, but it's how well. It's not even for us primarily that we benefit. It's for others. And here's the last idea. It's not just for today. It's for tomorrow. This is one of the hardest ideas. We are very now-orientated people, generally. Now, there will be cultures in the room that aren't so much, but certainly Western, hyper-individualized culture very much thinks of right now, okay? Think about what you want now. And, 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 and some of you will know this, but, but please hear my heart. From a biblical worldview point of view, that is an alien idea. It's so alien. It's right at the opposite end of the God worldview of the world. So when we're introduced to, to God, when he meets Moses uh, at that burning bush, he describes himself as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, he's not just saying, hey, Moses, I'm here for you. No, no, he's saying, Moses, you're here because of your father, <laughs> because of Abraham, because of Isaac and because of Jacob. You're not just, you're not it, Moses. You're part of it. Come on now. Come on now. You're part now. Moses was an important part of it. Absolutely. But Moses is only getting to do his bit because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his father did their bits. You with me? And then Moses is now being instilled. What's being instilled into Moses? You're now doing your bit for future generations. This is about tomorrow. It's not just about rescuing people today from slavery. It's about then building a nation that will be around for thousands of years. Jesus' name we've sang today will echo through all eternity. And eternity isn't just an idea that brings us comfort in our pain. It says, well, when I die, I'll go to heaven and live forever. But eternity should remind us that this moment we're in is not it. It's an important moment. We should live in the moment, not for it. We should live in the moment, not for it. But, but actually, it's not it. It's a big part of a bigger it. Come on. And actually, it's that idea. And the Jerusalem that Nehemiah builds, generations will get to enjoy. In fact, they will get to enjoy it until Jerusalem is destroyed again by the Romans in A.D. 70. And millions of people will get to enjoy the benefits of Nehemiah, 37 individuals and 12 groups of people who rocked up to the wall and said, let's build something. 
few years ago, I was ministering in Slovakia, Central Europe, former uh, sort of communist Europe. And I was doing a leadership conference there, and I had a little break, and I walked around the beautiful village that, that the conference was in, and I saw these lovely houses just built, like a village in the middle of nowhere, beautiful, beautiful houses, lovely, lovely gardens. It was really beautiful to walk around. And I remember walking down a particular street and looking at the lovely sort of individual architecture of these houses. How sad am I? Uh, but there I am looking at them. And I stopped at one house, and there was a date that the house was built. And the house was built in 1942. So what? Well, in 1942, the whole world was at war. In 1942, Nazi Germany were rolling over Europe like it didn't exist. In 1942, people's identities were literally disappearing in flames as the Nazis rolled over. And it looked like in 1942, there would never be an end to the Reich. In fact, in 1942, Hitler was declaring that the Reich would last a thousand years. Thank God he was wrong, eh? Come on. He was badly wrong. But back in 1942, me and you would have looked at that and thought, actually, he's right. John, what's your point? My point is in the middle of devastation, in the middle of war, in the middle of brutality, in the middle of extermination, somebody built a house. <laughs> come on. It's, it's better than that, honestly. Come on. They built a house. It's like, like somebody thought, yeah, Hitler's in control, killing people for just looking at them wrong. Uh, I, I, I'm probably part of that category, but you know, if we survive this war, my kids will need a house. And somebody with a bit of vision, maybe a bit of bloody-minded determination, maybe somebody just saying, stuff Hitler, I'm going to build my house anyway. Somebody built a house that in the 21st century still exists. Somebody's still living in. Hitler has been buried. The Reich is dust. <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's a great idea, right? It's a great idea. And, and that's the kingdom of God. Nehemiah isn't just saying, come on, people, we just need a wall up. Come on, help me to build a wall. No, no, he's trying to fill them with the vision that if we build something today, generations will thank us. Generations will thank us. Generations will say, thank God for Nehemiah. Thank God Nehemiah didn't stay in Persia thinking, well, uh, you know, I know Jerusalem's in trouble. I don't even, I've never even been to Jerusalem. Why should I go back to Jerusalem? I've got my cup, I've got my job, I, I've got my pension plan. This is cool, man. I'm going to stay here. No, no, Nehemiah says, I can't stay here when they are suffering. And Nehemiah goes to a place he's never been, builds a wall. We don't even know if he was a wall builder. But he got people to build with him a wall that generations would touch. A gen generations even from a Jewish world would kiss. The sacred city of Jerusalem from a Jewish worldview point of view. The city where God lives as far as they were concerned. The city where the life of God will flow to the nations of the world. All possible because a man saw the future. Right? And that's, that's the call here of Life Church Warrington. We're not asking you, we're not asking you to, 
be superhuman, we're, we're asking you to think of a couple of things. That when we're building together at Warrington, when we're building together at Life Church, it's not really about how many, it's about how well we're going to do this together. Come on, that's shoulder to shoulder. Come on now, come on. We, we can build this. We can do something together. We can build something for Jesus. It, it's not really about for me, though I benefit. I mean, if Life Church Warrington's great, and I'm a punter in Life Church Warrington, hey, I, I get huge benefit. But actually, I'm not really building it for me. I'm building it for the people not yet born. For the people playing football. Sitting in the pub, reading the paper. We're building it for them. And we're not even just building it for right now. We're building it for the future. You with me? I'm so grateful for a God who sees the long game. A God who knows the beginning from the end. A God who looks down the passage of time and does something in a moment of history that will change both the future and the past. The Bible says that Jesus was crucified, slain, before the foundations of the world. <laughs> before I was even born. He was building before anyone thought of me, he was thinking of me. That's the kingdom. That's what we're a part of. To be part of something that catches his heart. That sees beyond, just for a few moments, beyond ourselves and into the heart of heaven that can touch him. Amen. Will you stand with me if you can? In a moment, I'm going to hand back to Lucas. We'll close our service. You've all got things to do and places to be. But before we rush off, before the noise, before we do all the things waiting for us, as we were encouraged to right at the beginning, let's allow the Holy Spirit touch our hearts with these profound truths, these ideas that are much, 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 much bigger than me. Well, John, John, what about me? What about my rent? What about my, my body? What about my children? What about my job? Absolutely. The Lord is intimately interested in all of that. And this church believes in that. We want to minister to you and stand with you in those intimate personal, deeply, 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 deeply touching issues for your life. But in the midst of ministering to us, the Lord wants to take us beyond ourselves into a dream that is bigger than anything that's about me or my children or even my children's children. A dream touch the world, a dream to change the world, a dream not just for one hope in the action house, but dozens of them. A dream not just for five locations, but maybe ten locations. A dream for not just uh, three or four hundred people, but thousands of people. 
not to build an empire, not to build an ego, not to build a name, but to build something that will give the Lord the chance to touch our world. And so I want to, in this moment, I want to invite you to open up your heart. I'm going to pray in a moment. And if that's, if that resonates for you, then, then here's the response I, I ask of you. Just make yourself available. Not even at this moment to Lucas or the team or to Life Church, but like Nehemiah, he just opened his heart and he said, I can't not do something. But to invite you just to say to the Holy Spirit, open my eyes, open my heart, open my vision, open even my hands, open who I am to the possibility of something greater and bigger. And although our contribution may feel small, one brick in the wall, nobody, nobody Nobody focuses on just one brick in the wall when they look at a magnificent wall around the city. So if the Holy Spirit has challenged you, then right now, why don't you either lift up your hands to Him or hold your hands out in front as a sign of welcome, submission, engagement, while I pray. Lord, thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for a man who saw something. Thank you for a man who felt something. Thank you for a man who caught something so powerful of your heart that he was prepared simply to move. And Holy Spirit, I pray for my brothers and sisters, I pray for this fantastic church that we will somehow capture the spirit of that idea. That Lord, wherever we are, whatever postcode we live in, whatever our circumstance and situation or the moment of our journey, Lord, right now we will be prepared to open up our heart and say to you, Lord, for something bigger, I open up my heart to you. For something bigger, I open up my mind to you. For something bigger, I open up my hands to you. For something beyond myself, I open up myself to you. And so, Lord, I pray for hearts in this room that are responding in that way. Will you draw close? Will you draw near? Will you do something so deep in us that, Lord, as we respond to you, something of our obedience and something of our contribution, whatever it will be, will enrich those around us, enrich this community, enrich your kingdom, enrich the glory of your name to our world. And that, Lord, you would do something in us, not just for us, but you would do something in us, through us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, let your word, let the power of the vision you have for the nations touch our hearts so that we would honor you, serve you, live for you, and build something for you 
that will be for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.